Hey, podcast listener, are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. But we have to help people understand what do you make accountability mean? I'm mean, I'm a jerk, they're going to hate me, they're going to quit, all of that. There's a whole other way to think about this, that accountability can feel like love, it can feel like grace, it can feel like support. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help you work less and make more. My name is Geraldine Carter. When you set out to pursue your CPA, being an amazing manager of people was probably not in your crosshairs. Yet, as your firm grows, the need to become an effective manager of people becomes readily apparent. If you're not an effective manager of people, you can get really bogged down in your staff-related challenges, which can pull your focus away from working on your business. Here today to talk with me about better managing and leading your team is my guest, Chris Plackey. Chris is the thought leader and expert for female entrepreneurs. She has poured her life's work into teaching them how to lead a team. In a space where there is a lot of noise and advice, Chris has designed the how-to of team leadership through her How to CEO for Female Entrepreneurs program. She knows, without a doubt, there is no challenge you are facing as a leader that she can't help you solve. Chris Plackey, welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So let's jump right in here. If you listen to business owners complain and kvetch about their businesses, which sometimes they do, a number one complaint is often about staff. Mm. Where are the most common ways that business owners are going wrong when it comes to leading and managing their team? Oh, well, the first one is not learning how. It's so simple. (laughs) That might seem like a really obvious answer, but it isn't because, and I will say this, a lot of people who own businesses and in your, I've coached a lot of CPAs, so I can speak um, pretty directly to this, right? That the work of your business is to become an exceptional practitioner as it should be. So a lot of small business owners they just don't really think about managing people. They just realize, oh, I'm busier. I'm making more money. I have more clients. I need help. You hire help. But you don't really understand the fundamentals of team and team management and all the pieces and parts. So that's number one. And I and I joke, but I mean it really with love. Like, don't, don't be that person who thinks they're supposed to know. And then you stay like lost. Like you had to learn accounting you can learn management. Like it's a skill, just like anything else. But I, for, for whatever reason, a lot of people think they're just 
it's like you're supposed to just know because but you don't and that's when all that frustration sets in because employees team members think very differently than business owners and that isn't to disparage either side of that coin it's just to say there's differences so the second thing i would say is when you don't really evolve and develop that leadership and management prowess you don't understand the mind of a team member and then it's very very hard to build practices that engage them, retain them, um, attract them, um, promote them, all those pieces. Yeah. So I think, you know, and then there's a lot more, um, you, you know, it's looking at people who are just there to help you instead of really leveraging a CEO mindset, thinking about the business, expect people, people to work like you do. That's just not going to happen. And when you do that to people, they don't stay. The world of work has radically changed in the last two years. If people listening to this podcast aren't paying attention to that, you're going to really struggle to find top talent. Got you. Okay. So what are some of the common symptoms that business owners, CPAs in this case, might recognize as so often we recognize our symptoms, but we don't know the root cause of the pain. We don't know what the disease is. So what are some of the common symptoms that you come across that could be staff related, could be sort of you managing related that we might not be aware are actually leadership related? Like we just think the staff person sucks. Yeah. But actually it's a leader person that is not trained well. Yeah. It's such an interesting conundrum because not to say that people suck, but you do end up attracting similar issues if you don't learn how to deal with them. So when people come to me to, to work with me on you know, really designing the team and figuring it out, there usually are some very consistent symptoms, which are a lack of accountability, a lack of delivery on the results, mismarks or misalignment with results. So I thought you were doing this and this is what you did. An inability of the owner of the business to delegate, lack of trust. Owners tend to feel very frustrated, irritated, burdened, resentful even of people. Those are all symptomatic of not having clear um, management practices in your business and relying solely on emotional um, currency. And it doesn't work long-term. And the bigger your business gets, the bigger this is a problem. And it does stifle the growth of the business. So the business is its own ecosystem. It's it's its own organization. It's outside of you. And if you've gotten to the point that there's more than one of you in a business, you now have that. You have an ecosystem. It's not yours. It belongs to the system. And so now you're a custodian of the system. But if you're having repetitive problems with the same kind of employee, they just look different, you know, They have a different name, but they're the same person. That's just an indication that you have some things you need to work on to make better decisions in who you hire and then also um, have better practices on how you lead and manage. Okay, great. Can you just explain what you mean by emotional currency? Yes. So business owners are incredibly attached to their companies, right? Their businesses, they're, it's theirs. That's They're called business owners, right? It's like mine. Um, and a business owner, that mentality means that I'm hiring people to help me, but they're not helping you. They're helping the business. 
And so, but when they don't do what they're supposed to do, you take it incredibly personally because they're not helping you. And now we're in this emotional exchange of anger, frustration, disappointment, right? Like almost like you're, de- you're de- betraying me. I asked you to make 10 copies and you didn't make 10 copies. And then we watch our minds have tantrums because how could they do that to me and not do the 10 copies I asked for? <laughs> we lose our mind. It's because we're relying on our emotions and that part of a relationship to get the work done because they're here to help you. They're not there to help you. They are there to make money for your business. It's such a different way to think, yeah? Yes. So let's go back to the piece about delegating delivery and accountability. I hear quite commonly that it's difficult for my clients included to delegate, to push things down the line. There is a standard things need to be done well, they need to be done right. There are big consequences if things don't get done well or correctly. And they can have a difficult time letting go of that and giving it to somebody else and letting somebody else screw up. Perhaps because there may not be a sufficient backstop to catch errors in advance, or just because the thinking might be, you know, why give it to somebody else if they're going to not do it correctly, and then I'm just going to have to do it all over. Why bother? I might as well just do it myself. Yeah. So can you talk in particular how you address when people find it challenging to delegate? And oftentimes they'll recognize that it's challenging for them. They just don't know how to get better at it. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, again, it's like yours, it's your baby, you you know, and you're right. Taxes and people's financial things. That's a big deal. If you jack that up, like I get that, you know, I think, I think we have to tell the truth about that. But the reason that's happening is because you don't have a whole process in place, right? So here's, here's how I think about this. If you knew that no matter what someone would be held accountable for a level of error that was egregious, right? Like people make mistakes every day. You make them. Every single person listening to this podcast already messed something up today. But we're incredibly scrutinizing on our own mistakes, right? We're terrible to ourselves. We tend to be. And so we're not very forgiving. And so then what can happen is every mistake is an alarm. And that's a concern. But then really, what we really have to just trust ourselves is like, listen, I know how to hold people accountable. So if there is a significant error, I know how to handle that. But because people don't learn how to do that, because they don't trust that there is accountability, even themselves, then they just have to grip it all and try and control it. And that just doesn't work. So when someone tells me I can't delegate, that tells me a few things. But the first thing we'd have to find out is, did you train this person? Did you onboard them? Have you inspected their work? Have you gradually escalated the scope of their work and evaluated it consistently? Now, I know that the people listening to this want to punch me in the face because the reason they hired someone is because they're so busy, they don't have time to do that. But let me just say this. You don't not have time. Because if you don't do it on the front end, you're going to fire them or they're going to quit. And then guess what? You got to do it all over again. And we have to stop working from the premise that people can just read your mind. It's a lie. So when people tell me they can't delegate, that's the first thing. Like, let's just talk about how you get people started. The second thing is what happens when you delegate? 
What's your process? Do you abdicate or delegate, right? Abdicating is, hey, can you get this done? That'd be great. Out of sight, out of mind. Don't bring it back to me. (laughs) Please just take it off my desk. Or, hey, here's what I'd like you to do. Here's what success looks like. Here's when it needs to be done. Show me the finished product, Mm -hmm. right? That's a gap. That's often the gap. And then the communication, there's communication gaps between you and your team. You're not having consistent one-on-ones or meetings. And then there's no real consequence to failure. Significant failure has to be addressed. It can't be tucked under the carpet and you can't just go in and fix it and address it later. It doesn't work. You have to do it. And there's an inherent truth. And I know that you're, you're a trained coach, so you understand this, right? Like there's these truths that we have to tell that there will be failure in your business and you cannot live in, a f- in fear of it or you will never grow. Okay. So there was something in there that you said I want to pick up in the, in the second example when you were like, here's, here's the project, here's the task, here's the timeline for it, here's what I want the result to look like, go do it. In that, you didn't mention, check it, let's have these checkpoints along the way so that I can make sure. And you can. Yeah, benchmarks. Yeah, it depends on the project. Like oftentimes I'll say, do this first. Okay. Then let's check, let's review it. Then let's do this, right? It just sort of depends on the scope of the work. Okay. What's essential in delegation is telling people what success looks like. Right. Otherwise they have no idea. Or they'll just make up their own version. Yes. I, I, we just hired a videographer as an example, right? And I sent them examples of what success looks like. The, this is a successful video snippet, <laughs> And it's amazing how many people still don't get it right. What do I do? I hire the one who got it right, not the one who I kind of liked better that I think I can fix. Let's talk about holding people accountable. And even the word accountability can come with charge. Business owners will work really hard, right? Because they care about their business. It's their baby. They want it to be successful to put everything into it. And so they'll show up. But in some ways, they can also not be accountable to themselves, right? If they say that they're going to be done by five every day of the week, but they're not done until seven, they're actually not being accountable to themselves. So there's, we can, when it's our own business, it can get, we can get really squirrely about being accountable to ourselves because, you know, there's nowhere else for the buck to stop. So holding other people accountable, number one, it can be charged. Number two, there may be all kinds of reasons we want to avoid it. If we're, what does good accountability look like? And for those who are struggling with it, how do they get better at it? So I love that you said that accountability is charged because that's our problem. We have, I just wrote an article. I don't think I'll publish it because it was more of a rant, but we don't hold people accountable to their commitments, to their behavior. Like if you just look at the way that people are socially, it it's crazy. And, um, and that happens in companies all over the world. And so what I struggle with is then those, every now and then one of those people ends up in my business. And now I'm difficult to work for simply because I asked them where the assignment was that they said they would have it turned in at 10 o'clock this morning and they didn't do it. Right, this, this was the agreement. <laughs> you're not holding up your end of the bargain. What's going on? So in my mind, accountability for me is incredibly, um, it's like the rudder of the business without it. If you're, if you're the owner of a business and you can't hold people accountable, you are rudderless. Mm -hmm. You, you are operating at the whim of other people's brains and, and it will make you nuts. So, but accountability in my, in my experience is a relationship It's you to me, right? You invited me to this call. I showed up. 
That's accountability. That's like, if I didn't, you'd send me a message. Hey, Chris, I thought we had a call today. Where are you? That's accountability, right? But a lot of people think accountability is firing people. Or discipline and getting in trouble. Yeah, I'm in trouble. Accountability is also, hey, Chris, you did that podcast with me today. It was amazing, right? Can I account for your ability? It is not negative. It is accounting. We love this for your people, right? We know mm-hmm. what accounting is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are Account- keeping track. Now, sometimes that ability is awesome and sometimes it's not. But the word itself is, is the agreement. It's the relationship. We want to have a culture of accountability, which means that when you say you're going to deliver something, you do. You care. You're invested. Yeah. So when people are getting stuck because they may have their own charged ideas about what accountability is and what it looks like, and they have difficulty holding other people accountable for their actions or inactions, because they may have a hard time telling the truth, they would rather just, they'd just as soon not upset the apple cart, sweep it under the rug, pretend it's fine, you know, justify it away, do all the ways that we can play our games in the background and pretend that it's fine. For people who have trouble with that, how do they get better at holding others accountable without it being so scary for them? Because I think they see it as like calling other people out. They think it's going to be confrontational. They fear the discomfort of the interaction. So how do you get better at like throwing yourself into what we perceive, you might perceive as harm's way, even though it's not really harm's way, it's actually better for your business when you do it. But in the moment, it sure seems like, you know what, I just want to let it slide this time. How do you get better at not doing that? Well, it's a combination of both skill set and mindset. So skill set's easy, right? I can teach you how to have the conversation. There's five elements. It's not hard, right? It's easy. What makes it easy is the thoughts that you have about it. Everything you just said, they're going to get mad. They're going to get defensive. It's going to be confrontational. They're going to pout. They're going to cry. They're going to hate me. They're not going to think I'm a good leader. They're going to want to quit. I can't have them quit. There's nobody available right now. This is right. Like this, just a swirl. Yeah. So accountability is a relationship. And what I mean by that is I will address your question, but I want you to see the holistic perspective here. If when people start working with you, they understand this is how we roll. Like, yes, I would love to pay you. And guess why I pay you? I pay you for results. I do not pay you for your time. It's an inherent argument I have with your industry. It's a problem. I I have the same argument with the industry. Listeners to this podcast know that we, yes, the money is for the value, not the time. Yes. If I ran a firm, I would change how I pay people. I don't care about the industry. I would be the best paying, highest performing, highest expectation firm in the town. And the A players would run to work for me and it would not be based on time. Yeah, it's on results. As soon as you start that language, then then the dialogues are always happening and it's not personal. It's not like, Joyce, you didn't turn your thing in on time. Like it's personal. It's like, hey, Joyce, where's the thing? You said it would be here. There's no attack. It's it's the truth. It's It's a circumstance. So, but we have to help people understand everything you just said. What do you make accountability mean? I'm mean, I'm a jerk, they're going to hate me, they're going to quit, all of that. Those are all thoughts that I coach my clients through and help them recognize there's a whole other way to think about this, that accountability can feel like love, it can feel like grace, it can feel like support. 
Yeah. It's like, oh, you actually care that I got it done? Like you care about me and the good doing a good job? Like, oh, right. I want to get this to you because she's going to ask me about it. I know I need to get it. Like it provides a safe container for people because we know where the rules are. And if there's no accountability. Yeah. And then if you do get it done, it's both. Like you did do it. It was amazing. Thank you for doing such quality work. We skipped that part. (laughs) Yes. Right? We have to do both. You can't just tap the file and say when somebody doesn't do the job and you call them in their office in your office and then not acknowledge when they're cranking and they're doing an amazing job and they're going above and beyond. That's all accountability, all of it. Okay, great. And in there, you mentioned the skill set was easy and it's just five steps. So what everybody's dying to know, what are the five steps? I'm not going to tell you. You have to hire me for that. Oh, no. Okay. I'm just kidding. No advice for free around here. It's identifying the issue. Facts. What happened? Not your opinion, right? There were 12 errors in that form you prepared. You didn't call someone back when you said you would. You didn't turn in the thing on time. Whatever, right? Facts. What's the impact of the facts? Mm -hmm. The client didn't get their refund. The client filed late. Joyce in this department didn't get what she needed to finish her job. Um, It makes us look bad as a business. And then we let them have their side of the story. I know, but I couldn't. And then, you know, and my uncle, and then I had to go and my dog. And then, right. And then they have all the reasons why they couldn't do what they committed to. I've heard it all. I tell all my clients, there is nothing ever that you will bring to a call that will freak me out ever. I got it all. So, right. Like, yeah. Okay. And all we do when they tell us all their reasons for, because the facts are true. We're not. I'm not making it up. We just tell them, okay, thank you for letting me know. Okay, so we're on three. I just want to make sure I clarify we clarify that we clarify the expectation. When you make a commitment to achieve a goal, if you if my expectations it will be done, and if for some reason it won't be done, I'm not gonna find out after it was supposed to be done. You're gonna tell me hours before, days before if you're not going to be able to achieve the goal. You're not just going to spring it on me after the deadline or what have you has passed. You're going to bring it, if something's going wrong, you're going to bring it to my attention as it's going off the rails so that I can help you address it rather than wait for when it's too late. Or wait till I find out it just didn't get done. Yes, okay. And then we tell them what will happen if it keeps happening. Okay. If there continue to be egregious errors in your preparation work, here's what's going to happen. And you can decide what that will be. I'm going to pull you off that work. I'm going to send you to a training. I'm going to have Joyce approve everything you do until you figure out how to mitigate the mistakes. If this is your third or fourth conversation about the same thing, it could be that the consequence is you're not going to keep working here if this keeps happening. You have to tell people the truth. This is not a personal relationship. You are paying them money to deliver a result. If they are not delivering the result and you're doing the work anyway, or you're giving it to someone else to fix the work, you've now paid twice. (laughs) You're an accountant. You get money. Don't do that. (laughs) It just makes me crazy. And then the the final piece is we sort of document it in a way that feels friendly or relevant. 
So it could just be a quick email or it's a performance document if it's gotten to that point, if it's escalated. Okay, got it. Is that five things? I think it was five, right? That is five. Number one, facts. Number two, impact. Number three, let them tell their story. Number four, consequences. Tell them what the consequences are. And number five, document it at the level that's appropriate. That's the skill set of accountability. That's the skill. But listen, it's like I tell my people all the time, you could Google that. How to have an accountability conversation. You could Google it right now. And there's so many resources. That's not the problem. Yeah. What's the problem? The problem is you're freaked out to do it. And you are running a business and you have to learn. How to experience the discomfort. Yeah. We're not going to find the barrel of employees who are perfect and you never have to manage. <laughs> like it doesn't, if I could figure that out, you could call me in Tahiti because I will be retired. <laughs> okay, great. I want to get into a couple of other specific things. This one may or may not fall under the rubric of accountability, but what do you do about bad behavior, like being rude to clients or rude to staff? Same. So one of the core pieces of work that we do in my How to CEO program is we help our clients really understand two things, the role descriptions, so actual productivity requirements of the roles, things like we've been kind of talking about, and then behaviors, which are, which are rooted in values. A lot of people build values around what they want the clients to think their values are. I build an exercise with my clients so they understand the values of how they hire and fire people. And I will tell you that probably about 90% of the people that you don't end up wanting to keep in your business, it's usually because of behavior. Mm -hmm. But if you have properly and clearly defined your expectations as it relates to behavior, you can have a behavior conversation just like you would have you didn't make me 10 copies conversation because we're rooting it in facts, okay, not opinion. Gotcha. And it was pre-established. It was like, look, here's what we agreed to. You agreed to this. You're not meeting. You're part of the bargain. Yeah. You're showing up 10 minutes late to meetings all the time. Whatever it is, these are the facts. Here was the agreement. These are the consequences. We have a value of professionalism as an example. We have, an, a, value, we have a value of mutual respect. So when you said to a client, I don't really care what you need, it's five o'clock and I need to go home, that was not aligned with our value of mutual respect. Side note, I had that happen to me in a business the other day. She's like, um, it's three minutes two and it's time for me to go. Can you come back another day? <laughs> I mean, sure, but like, <laughs> there's such a nicer way to say that. <laughs> I mean, I would like, admittedly, I was asking her a question three minutes before I could have not, I could have been like, it's probably not a question for right now, but it was so funny. I know. I want to ask you another question. This one comes up more frequently than I would have expected. How do you extricate yourself from long and or family relationships in your business? If you have family members who are employees or best friends who are employees and it's not working. Chris has her face in her hand. Okay, so I I will tell you, um, at least half of my clients have a family member they work with. Just small business. Yeah, it's surpri it's surprisingly common. I mean, I grew up in a family like my parents owned a business, and they had a hard and fast rule: no family, no friends. Very good rule. So I've always thought that was just the default, but so common. Not everybody. I will tell you, not everybody. I have coached several uh, couples. <laughs> not many siblings or mothers and fathers and children 
who have done it successfully. I have coached many clients through the process of firing their mother, their sister, and their best friend from high school. The key to anything like that is total clarity on roles and responsibilities. Everybody needs a job title. Everybody needs actual goals and performance expectations. And somebody's got to be the boss. Coing doesn't work. Now, if you want to co, but you split who oversees what, great. Then that person gets agency over what gets decided in their little world. You might consult each other. You might brainstorm together. But decision-making is managed by whoever owns it. But to, to actually move people out, I actually think that's an incredibly hard thing to do. And I'm a coach and I would tell you that. Um, that doesn't mean it, it shouldn't be done. It just means you need a lot of very good support and guidance on how to begin that process and where what direction you want to take with it. Because I've seen people buy people out. I've seen people fire people. I've seen people project them kind of over there, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different ways to do it, but it it all depends on, there are a lot of dynamics. I actually just remembering someone too, her father was her dad. She bought the business from her dad and he wouldn't leave. Oh boy. I just had somebody hire me who's going into business with her mother, father, sister, and husband. And I'm like, okay, can you hire me immediately, please? And she did. Because there's a lot of, they're just getting started. So I'm thrilled because we can build a lot of that framework right now before we get kind of where it gets sloppy and messy, but it's, you can't treat, you can't treat them differently. They, they're either a team member or a co-leader or a employee, and they have to be that at work. They have to be held to the same standard that you would ha- hold everyone else. And if you have team members who work for you and you don't do that, it completely destroys the team culture. Yes. When there's different standards for different people. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So last question here before we wrap up. There is a lot of talk about it being difficult to find staff in the accounting space. There's a shortage. And we talked about this in the green room. If you're looking to hire and you hear this noise about shortage... How do you suggest that people think about that? Because if you buy into the shortage, you're going to behave one way. Whereas if you think about who you want to be as an employer, and I know there are great candidates for me, you might behave a different way. How do you suggest that people think about when there's real demand for high quality staff? Uh, I think it's a great question. And it's certainly like the, the news wants you to believe it's very hard to find great people right now. I have a firm belief that I, my business is my queendom and not everybody gets in. I'm very discerning. I'm very discriminating in terms of who I let in my queendom. And I hold that because the price doesn't chase. I watch a lot of business owners have the exact opposite. There's desperation, helplessness, and like scarcity, which then means they attract the same then they get people in their business and they wonder why they're not working out. So it's a philosophy first. That's what I want to emphasize. And I learned this quite young when I was a new manager years, I was like 26, 27 years ago. My mentor used to always say, bad breath is better than no breath. (laughs) And I 
disagreed with him passionately. I was like, no, you don't understand. I'll make the phone calls and I'll do the work before I have people here who don't perform because of what it says about my team and my, my space. I was running a team and a business at the time. And I will tell you, I think I mentioned this to you in, in the green room, as you mentioned it, that I do have, I have CPA clients. I have one I'm thinking of specifically. She doesn't have any problem hiring. And it's because she has such an attractive offer. And there's so many things we have to think about too. Like you can't just expect people to apply. Do you invite? Do you network? Do you regularly talk to people in your industry? Or do you just think you're going to put something on Indeed and get flooded with it? Because that's not happening anymore. And like I said, at the top of our podcast, the world of work has changed. Have you? People have different expectations of where they work now. And you've got to be open to all of it. And it, you know, there's a really good book that was written many years ago by Dan Pink called Drive, The Surprising Truth About Motivation. Have you read that? I have not. It's really good. And he has a TED Talk that's 18 minutes if you don't want to read the book. Um, All the same. But he talks about what really motivates people. And it's not money. Money is always like, there's a factor of money that keeps us, right? Like, so we all have a number that we know we can be fed, housed, and healthy, right? And that's different for everybody. But then beyond that, it's not, it's not money. So all these people saying everybody just wants more money. They don't. What they really want is mastery, autonomy, and purpose. They want to be seen. They want to be allowed to grow. They want to feel like their work matters. There's so much more to it than just the money and the skill set. Yeah. And if you're just making it about that, that's, that's why you're only attracting those people. Uh huh. There is so much more here for us to talk about. We're going to have to have you back. I know, right? (laughs) For now, this was fabulous. Chris Plackey, thank you so much for coming on the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. It's my pleasure. I'm thrilled to be here. If you would like to manage your staff more effectively so it feels less frustrating, you can check out Chris Plackey's How to CEO for Female Entrepreneurs program, the link to which is in the show notes. And if you want to become masterful at running a high-margin CPA firm where you don't have to work so hard for the money you make, head over to shethinksbigcoaching.com to subscribe to my daily drip of business strategy for CPAs. You'll get one easily digestible tip a day on how to position your business, how to price your services, and how to sell outcomes so that you can be more profitable, get your time back, and get off the tax hamster wheel for once and for all. That URL again is shethinksbigcoaching.com. All right, that's it from me. Have a great week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to geraldinecarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.